Against the assault of laughter, nothing can stand. That was Mark Twain in 1916. Now, Twain was a genius, but I suspect he couldn't have imagined the state that we'd be in today. When comics think that conservatives don't want you to make fun of Trump and liberals don't want you to make fun of anything. That was a laugh line. <laughs> Thank you. That's what comedians navigate today. In 1916, the world was at war, literally. In 2019, although there are armed conflicts, the war I'm talking about is one of the cultural variety. With front lines on college campuses, television screens and our headphones, and musty basements with two drink minimums. If music brings the people together, what is the function of laughter? According to one theory, laughter developed from the roar of triumph in an ancient jungle duel is a sign that one person or group is being dominated. Well, if laughter is an assertion of dominance, does it work the same when we're making fun of the presidents or cracking jokes about Caitlyn Jenner's genitalia or even poking fun at ourselves? Too much, too mean, too soon, too far. That's not funny. All things at least Half of our panelists may have heard shouted at them from beyond the lights and maybe even tonight. As we make our way together through this Be Her Town Hall, laughing matters, comedy, and accountability. So I'm just going to ask uh, to get the lights up for a second. And I'm wondering, as we are thinking about comedy and accountability and where we are at this moment, now that I can see all of your lovely faces, a quick uh, Instagram poll right now. How many of you, thinking of comedy, think that we are, by show of hands, I'll give you the options, we've gone all the way too far. Like, it's too much, it's too crude, it's gross, nothing is making me laugh. On the other extreme, we've gotten so damn weak, no one can take a joke, a whole world full of snowflakes. And the last option, we're right in the middle, we're riding a good wave here. So, who thinks we've gone absolutely too far? Like, comedy is gross now. Ooh, tough crowd, not anybody. New York, are any of you from New York? Okay, <laughs> who thinks that we've really hit our stride, that we're right in the middle of this thing? One, two, three, four, five of you. Okay, that was a good showing. Now, who on the other side thinks that we've gotten way too soft? Like, everything is in your fifis. Oh, a lot of these people think that we're in their feet. So before I do make my way over, is there anyone who has an example of any of those things? Does anyone want to bring the town into the town hall right from the beginning? I see you over there. So the question was, have we gone too far? Have we gotten too soft? Or have we hit our stride? Come and join us. So what do you think? Where are we now? I thought that we were in the middle. But yeah. um, as I think back on it, mm -hmm. I realized that people their feelings get hurt a lot. But what I have noticed that there's been a shift where comedy is al comedians are allowed to say what they need to say and they somehow are able to, to tap on the pulse of what's really going on in the world around us and to help us to laugh at it and if we can't laugh at it, at least to think about it. So I think that we're in the middle but we were very close to it being like we were snowflakes. Okay. Yeah. All right. That was a great way to start it off. Anybody else want? She was not a plant. I promise you we've never met before, but I like it. Anyone else before we get into it? Any feelings? All right. 
I'm watching you all and I'll be coming back to you later. There's gonna be a test on all of this. So uh, you do have index cards on your seats by way of a little housekeeping. So if something sparks or you have a question or are outraged at all, you can begin a letter to the FCC or your congressperson with that card that we have there. Thanks, Keegan. So by way of introduction, this is Beck Crefting, who is an associate professor at Skidmore College, where she works in the American Studies as well as Gender, Media, and Film Studies departments. They get a lot out of her. Mm -hmm. Her monograph, all joking aside, American Humor and Its Discontents, charts the history of e history and economy of charged humor and stand-up comedy aimed at social justice. So thank you for being here, thank Beck. Thank you for having me. I'm looking at, oh yes, loud applause. Ray Dijon is here. Ray is the host of the wildly successful and popular Laughaholics, which airs right here on Brick TV. I heard it, yes, you have a fan back here. <laughs> so Ray, in addition to hosting Laughaholics, has been in the industry for over 18 years and is an industry veteran whose hosting skills and production work and popular uh, hosting on Video Music Box have uh, delivered him here tonight. So thanks for joining us, Ray. Thank you. All right. I'm looking at Carrie Cottett over here, who is a Brooklyn homegirl who has made it in the big time working on HBO. She uh, has a long roster. She also has, has specific credits that I'm going to share now from why it's an axe problem areas on HBO, as well as Laugh Mobs, Laugh Tracks on True TV. And you can listen all the time when you're not watching her to her podcast at On the Chopping Block with Carrie Cadet, as she is Carrie Cadet. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. And Judy Gold, who made my life by heckling me in the dark, <laughs> is here. She is a multiple Emmy Award winning for her television writing. She's a performer who's an actress as well as a stand-up comedian. She is also the host of a very cool podcast called Kill Me Now and the author of the forthcoming Yes, I Can Say That. We'll see how long it takes you to say that tonight, but Yes, I Can Say That available at major booksellers very soon. Thanks for joining us. In June. In June. In June. It's not even. that soon. Moments away. It will right, blink yeah. and it'll, it'll be time to fast. buy the book. Yeah. Judy Gold, thank you for being here. Thank you. And down at the end, Rebecca Trent is the proprietor of one of the most popular comedy clubs in New York City, as named by Time Out New York in Long Island City, the Creek and the, I'm sorry, the Creek and the Cave is a club that she has there and she's long been a producer of comedy and working in television as well and is one of the driving forces behind Skankfest. Thank you for being here, Rebecca. Yep. Also polite, I love these golf claps. And Howard Lieb is here. He is an attorney as well as a professor at Cornell Law School. Howard is a longtime comedy historian and enthusiast and has also tried his hand at comedy as well when he's not teaching. He uh, serves as a producer of well, critically acclaimed uh, comedy recordings and he's also writing a book right now that is a legal handbook for stand-up comedians, improv comedians, and comedy writers. So please, collectively, welcome all of our guests to be here. Okay, so they've heard your names, but let's get a little flavor for who you actually are. You saw how the audience is responding, and we saw how you responded to the too much 
not enough? Are we right in the middle? So just share for me and us quickly so we know who you are, what your experience with either too much or not enough or hitting the right stride in the way that we look at comedy is, Beck. Well, I think that I've raised my hand for being in the middle because I hear enough from people who are consumers of comedy who feel slighted by offensive comedy that they hear in comedy clubs, and I'm very sympathetic to that as well as coming um, from my own positionality as a queer woman. Uh, I, too, can certainly take umbrage at those sort of slurs or slights in comedy clubs, but I also think it's important that people speak their minds and have the floor to be able to speak freely. So I feel like I'm caught in the yeah. middle here. I think everyone should be able to say their piece. Comics should be able to say what they want to say, but then they should also have to deal with the fact that we too, as consumers, have that right and the latitude to say things back to them and start a different kind of conversation. So I want all the voices to be mm -hmm. heard. And I do think we have, you know, I think we can create better comedy. I think we have great comedy out there, but I think we can well, create better. Yeah. Ray, what was your vote? Well, I've been doing comedy now, I mean, in the business for about 30 years. So I grew up in the era of deaf comedy jam, which is a little different. It's, it's kind of sort of urban comedy versus mainstream. And so it's kind of treated differently. But even recently, the show that I have here on Brick, right. the last meeting I had, they said, hey, listen, Ray, you have to talk to the comedians about hashtag no Me Too movement jokes, hashtag no immigration jokes, because right now, yeah. in the temperament of the society, it's a little bit too sensitive. And so when I sat down and I talked to the comedians about it, they were all like, uh, uh, like, you know, 50% of my jokes may service, you know, yeah. around that. So it just makes it a little bit more difficult for comedians to write their jokes because basically they try to go with what's relevant yeah. and what's happening now so they can make light of it in some instances and in some instances they, they just can't. Um, I, I am a firm believer in the way you deliver a joke. You should be uh, um, aware of how you deliver it. Like for instance, if there's someone in the audience that has an inborn dignity and you actually see it and then you emphasize it, to me, that's not cool. But if you generalize something and you're not really pointing or the finger at someone, I think that it's okay. So from a producer and from a stand-up comedian, my yeah. perspectives vary. I have to look at it from a producer perspective because I'm doing a TV show, right. and then I have to look at it from a comedy club perspective. So Judy, I could feel the breeze oh, over God, here from I'm you just, shaking I'm, your I'm head not, at like, no me too, first no of immigration. All, all right, I, I, I believe um, first of all, it's called a sense of humor because it's a subjective thing. Mm -hmm. So some people like, you know, slapstick. Some people don't like slapstick. It is, it is a very personal thing. What people laugh at is very personal. But I think what we're missing here is the intent of the comedian. The comedian, like all we, we want to make people laugh. That's our whole goal. When a comedian gets on stage, all they want to do is get a laugh. How they get a laugh, that's a whole different story. Yeah. But you, you cannot, censorship and comedy do not go hand in hand. And comedians and great comedians speak truth to power, like what this lady had said before. You, you can't say we can't discuss this topic because people are feeling sensitive. A comedian can talk about any topic 
as long as it's funny. I have jokes about the Holocaust. They're funny. And you know what they do? They remind people that the Holocaust happened. But when we're taking, when we're holding comedians to a higher standard than we're holding the President of the United States, it is beyond ridiculous. And, and we're in clubs, you know, there's a certain thing, you know, when you're on TV, of course, you have corporations that are saying, I don't, I don't, I want people buying our products, don't say this, don't piss this person off. We have the cancel culture, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Right. But when you're in a club and you're working out your set, you don't know what the line is. Most of the time, a comedian doesn't know what the line is until they've crossed the line and they realize, okay, I have to push back. And the only way a comedian can work out a bit is on stage. We can't do our job without an audience. It's not like a writer or a painter. Yeah. So that's where it sort of is muddled because you know the audience is getting insulted and the comedian's trying to work out and do their bit. And if you want, if you're offended, fine. You know, turn the channel. Um, there's plenty of us that, you know, might, yeah. you, you, there's a lot of us. Uh, but I, I really believe this oversensitivity and, and saying you can't discuss this specific topic, it's killing comedy. And, and we are the, la we are unafraid and we are unafraid of the truth. And I think that society doesn't like to hear the truth a lot of the time. We've got miles to go, so I hope you are all taking points from that. But Carrie, how did you vote? I think you were saying we're very sensitive. I right put now. two hands up for okay. that. We okay. are very sensitive. I think oftentimes the audience hones in on these buzzwords. So if you say things like immigration, me too, they've made up their mind about how they feel about it without even hearing where you're going with it. And that to me is very problematic. Like we, we're, so, we're so eager to be outraged and to be upset that we don't understand where someone's going with it. And like Judy said, the reason we get up on stage is because it's therapeutic. Now I'm not gonna be someone that says they're just jokes because we know comedy can't be, it's either this important piece of art that has the, the capability to change a culture so words do matter. So it's not just jokes, right? What we do is important, but it's also like the reason we're doing it is just to make you laugh. And everyone in the audience comes to the table with certain sensitivities. So you can't tell me I can't speak about this. You don't even know what I'm going through. Right. Maybe I'm a rape victim. Maybe this is therapeutic for me. You don't know. Um, and certain times it's like, People, people, I just think that we have to be allowed to do what we do, and comedy is the last place where we can do that. We, freedom what, of speech. Yeah. Freedom of speech, it doesn't mean freedom of consequences, but it's also like this is our job, and we say the things that maybe you can't say in your workplace because you might get fired. So stop, don't try to stop me from doing it in my workplace. Like, this is my workplace. This gotcha. is the place I'm supposed to say this. It's your safe Shit. space. But Sorry, kids. Can, can I just add to that? I know I'm never going to shut up, and you can tell me to shut up. But, you know, so what you're saying is, you know, a comedian has has intent. What is the intent of the comedian? Yeah. What is the context in which they're telling this joke? And also nuance. Mm -hmm. You know, people will hear a word. I'm offended. That's I'm not it. listening anymore. Yeah. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> and no, why don't you listen to what the full idea is, what the comedian is trying to say. The great comedians, what they do is they let you see the, the world through their lens, through the way they've experienced it. Yeah. And it, it can really open people's minds and as you said 
say the things that we're all afraid to say. Howard, I'm looking at you and I'm cheating you for you a are second at me. because instead of asking you about that original thing, I'm listening to Judy's point saying it's through their eyes and context matters and all of these things, but does that hold water legally? Sure, legally, if you can find a place that'll put you up, you can say anything you want. Mm -hmm. uh, the point is nobody has a re is responsible for putting you up. Uh, I mean, I put up my hand for middle of the road. Okay. Because I look at it historically. If you go back to the court jester, Court jester was invited to sit at the king's table. Right. Yeah. But if the court jester offended their audience, they might not have dinner the next night anywhere. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. If you were Lenny Bruce and you offended your audience, you went to jail. Mm -hmm. And he did. As the, uh, as the uh, saying goes, Lenny Bruce died for our sins. George Carlin, you offended people. Your stuff was pulled off the radio. Today, you lose a gig on Saturday Night Live. And what I'm listening to here is two sides. If you're the comedian, and I have great love for comedians. I have done stand-up, I'm a failed stand-up, successful lawyer, but a failed stand-up. Uh, then yes, you have intent, you have nuance. But if you're an audience and you're offended, who cares? Right. Uh, right. And, but that doesn't mean you don't have the right to say it. But I also don't think you can compare uh, George Carlin and Lenny Bruce hmm to Shane Gillis. No. There's I certainly no, don't. No. Right. I, but you're saying you're, you get fired. I think that was not about. No, it's a completely different fight. Yes, that I agree. Fight for it's being not able to critique the government and being able to say certain words. And I know Rebecca. Well, Rebecca, that. you are the only person here who is a gatekeeper in an official capacity all the time running your club. So where are we on snowflake to burning in hell or right in the middle? And so where do you come in on this? So part of my club is also about teaching audience members because we are an incubator for comedy. We do over 25 open mics a Teaching week. Teaching audience members. Well, sure, the audience has to learn how to receive comedy just, how, just in the same way that the comedians need to learn how to deliver it. And frankly, if the audience is offended, yeah. I feel like the comedian's doing something. Right. I don't feel like that's Can a bad thing at all. If that's unusual, I'm, I'm still stuck on part of it is teaching audience members because I never heard sure. anyone put it like that. Is that something that's like an ethos of yours or do you, you guys have a cabal, you get together well, and say we're going to I didn't read it somewhere or anything. Yeah, yeah no. I mean, I, I, I but just, you feel I, like it's part of the mission. We get a lot mission. of first timers. We get a okay. lot of people who just sort of wander in and don't really know what a comedy show is about or what to expect or whatever. Sometimes we'll get vets that come in that think that they're just supposed to outright like have a conversation with the, with the person on stage and we have to teach them that that's not the case and hopefully they'll come back and, and continue to like, you know, grow with the comics that are right. performing there. And not to say that we don't have seasoned, brilliant, amazing legends that come through the creek as well. Um, but but uh, I, I raised my hand for too sensitive mm -hmm. um, and uh, I mean, I have obviously a lot to say on this subject. It's what we've built our lives on, right? Um, and I hate seeing it come under attack. I hate seeing comedians themselves become so sensitive that they're attacking other comedians. And that, I think, is something that I'm seeing more as a new, that's a new uh, advent of, of this ongoing conversation that I, I don't feel like we noticed so much uh, when these, because these conversations have been going on since 
the 1900s, right? We've uh, we, we had to get rid of blackface. We had to get rid of minstrel shows. We had to get they, they were they were there. Some people didn't get rid of it, so, yeah. Well, apparently, yeah. <laughs> Rebecca has a whole chapter. Yeah. I would argue yeah. it's still alive but, and well. But 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 these are things. But but these are these are things like as our society learns and grows and becomes more progressive, mm -hmm. so does the comedy. But I also find it wildly unacceptable and deeply unfair that we are forcing comedians to have an immediate response to all of this stuff that's going on in the world, an immediate response on um, uh, mo for monologues, for late night jokes, for like in every capacity, it has to be that day, the news is out, now we have to make the joke about it. And then we're also expecting it to be a nuanced response. Mm -hmm. Like, pick one. You can't, you can't expect a comedian to have 100% hits having to respond within 90 seconds, within a day of some sort of topic that's very sensitive, that might uh, upset a lot of people, yeah. it's, it's a little bit ridiculous to expect there to be zero offense inside of that. It's just, it's ridiculous. Well, you invoked Lenny Bruce, and I'm thinking right now of the way that he died, basically broke on his way to a workhouse to serve a four-month sentence after saying something that was deemed a no-no. He really paid a price. There were stakes. This guy didn't get a job on SNL. Right, so the scales aren't exactly balanced. But from all of you, what are the stakes now? What does it mean to be a sacrificial lamb or a victim of the culture that is sensitive? Well, you know, Lenny was arrested for cursing. But what they really wanted to get him on was what he was talking about. Right. He was talking about segregation and how disgusting segregation was. And uh, he was talking about the war. And he was talking about all these issues that the powers that be didn't mm -hmm. want him to talk about. So what did they do? They got him on the cursing. Actually, they got him on yeah. the blasphemy. The That's blasphemy. what they, the cursing too. Right. But the big charges, especially in, in Boston, right. was bad-mouthing the Catholic Church, right. which was another power structure, especially right. in that town. But to your question, you know, the stakes are now more economic. Yes. You're correct. not going to jail. You, it's, are you going to get an SNL job? Are you going to be booked at a major club or a major festival? Right. Uh, or are you going to get ridiculed? And, you know, bear in mind, Shane Gillis, uh, you know, for whatever else, I, how many people have actually seen any of the videos of what he actually I did and say? I wrote an article for Not CNN only. about, yeah, so I, I did twice. But I most people listen. have an opinion about yeah. it. Yeah. I saw one, which was his podcast. He was mm -hmm. talking with the other person about Asians. And, you know, his claim was, I was just a comedian pushing limits. No, he was a guy having a conversation with another guy, and it was a bigoted conversation. Right, but it right. went on, besides Asians. And then he yes. was using the word faggot to describe people. And, and it and, wasn't yeah. comedy. Right, yeah, that's, that's what I was yes. like, he right. was a He wasn't on stage. So what we do is we craft these jokes, and we have a point. There's some type of commentary. There's a reason we're doing it. What he did was he happened to be a comedian that had a in podcast, shooting exactly. the shit with his friend, and saying some wild stuff he had no business saying. Right. So it's completely different. He wasn't at work in the same way. It, it, was, it wasn't crafted. He I was spoke to him after I had written this article. Yeah, yeah. And, she, and he's like, it's a character. It's a character. If I don't know, I've been doing this 37 years. If I don't know it's a it's character, a, it's not a and, and you know, he, he claims he's pushing boundaries. It's been done. And it's been done way better by, yeah. you know, people who've been in the business for a really long time. That is, using racial epithets is not pushing boundaries. So Ray and... You, you two put people up. 
Well, you yes, put people right. on stage well, can, can every can week. But I still think about... he has a right to get on stage every anytime well, he wants. Of course you do. You've, you've, performed, you've performed with him. You've, yeah. I mean, yeah. Kerry right. said something about he had no business saying whatever he was saying. Mm -hmm. And so who decides that? Is so, that what I said? Yeah, you did. Oh, so, I that. <laughs> it's like who decides that? So, like, I, I sit on she two sides. She might have meant about I, I, him defending himself, not about exactly right, what. Right, but, yeah. but, but what I'm saying is, like, I book comedians, and I, I also do stand-up. So there's some comedians that request being booked by me, mm -hmm. and I'm like, nah, this guy is not going to be too good for my audience. Right. So it's more about, about the room than about it depends on It depends on the room. Yeah and the type of comedy that they do, it, would, it also depends on whether I would book them or not. So yeah. you have some comedians, like she said, intent to me, mm -hmm. because I'm a person first. Intent, if I feel like you have intent to actually hurt someone's feelings, and you're taking it, because some, some people use the stage to abuse other folks. There are comedians that are like that. And so I have to be able to censor that. So I may see them once, I let them come and work out, and I'm like, okay, this guy's not a good fit for this particular show. Right. So I'm not going to really deal with him. Because they can be overly aggressive to the point where they really, really hurt someone's feelings. And so when it gets to that point, then I, may, I have to make a decision. Although there's freedom of speech and there's this and that, yeah. and then comedy is an art, I still, as a producer... Right, again, that's it, all it, business. It, You're right, trying it's to, business. Yeah. It's and business. That's, but how do we assess comic intent? To your point, I wonder... Mm -hmm. Isn't that a crafted thing too? So can't a comic go, I want to get X number of laughs and I want to achieve it in this way. And so I want to make a joke that's maybe unsavory, but I'll put it in palatable terms. So no. I want to joke about gay people. So I'll talk about my gay best friend right. and use this rhetorical strategy because I got a gay Some best friend best here. So now I'm going to slam gay people right. for the next. Because that's not a good comedian and that's not say, a joke. I was like, that's lazy. But that's, he, if he's so wait, does the market that, correct that itself then? Just the bad comedians who might employ that stupid device they just aren't put up because I don't call it's just that comedy comedian. I don't call that comedy but there's still a market for that too there's yes. still people that enjoy that type of comedy there's still audiences that will support people like that because that's what they like to hear but it's like Trump at his rallies he stands there like a crappy hacky comic mm -hmm. and saying horrible things about people and the, the audience is like yeah, yeah, yeah. and he stands <laughs> back like oh I got I mean it's 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 so, lazy, it's gross, and it's not comedy. Rebecca, it's not funny. Are you giving Trump a tight 15? <laughs> um, he couldn't do a tight 15. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I, I, I have been asked multiple times if I would allow Trump to perform at the Creek, and, uh, which is an odd question because he's not a comic, even though we're laughing at him. Um, I uh, personally would love to get Judy Gold and Donald Trump in a room together and have them have a conversation. I think that would be amazing. I probably wouldn't sell tickets for it, though. You know what I mean? Like it's like, it, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it's like I'm not trying, but it would be it would be interesting. You yeah. know what I mean? I also like a lot of times people sort of like try and like you know challenge me by booking somebody who's terribly controversial to come to the creek. And I find that challenge to be very boring. Yeah. yeah. Um, mostly because any conversation can happen anywhere. And I, I'm not afraid of putting a microphone in front of somebody and letting them have a conversation. I don't think that that's dangerous. Um, I also uh, don't believe that I'm going to put my audience members or other talent in harm's way. 
Yeah. So I have a responsibility to make sure that no one's throwing cement-laden milkshakes or right. whatever the new thing is this week. I have to make sure that that kind of stuff isn't happening as yeah. well. But again, I find it very boring. I think that the I think that the the, the upheaval and the and the outrage and all that stuff gives attention to people that we shouldn't be paying attention to in the fucking right. first place. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? But I can I. Go ahead. I know I'm monopolizing. I'm sorry, but I just wrote a book about this, so it's all in my head. Out in but, June. Um, but <laughs> there is, you know, I've I've been through multiple, you know, uh, administrations in my yeah, comedy yeah. career. Sure. And never hmm. have you have presidents have always been fair game, always. Even like the Smothers Brothers yep. uh, were fired. And 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 Lyndon Johnson, who they they just were brutal Destroyed. to, wrote them a letter saying, you know, I just want you to know, it was it was an honor to be uh, the subject of your satire because that's what makes America great. Even he was though also you were instrumental in their being canceled, right? He was he was with CBS, <laughs> but he did write them a letter. But his daughters were big fans of the show. But what I'm saying, Trump. It's like a cult because you can make fun of Bush and Clinton and and and, and yeah. Carter, everyone, and the audience, the people who were supporters of them weren't like, I'm not going to laugh at the rest of the show. These Trump people, the minute you say something, they're they got up, they leave. It's it's. Have it's, you been to a rally? Oh no, yes. I can't. I have. Been. You've been to a rally? I was because I, I was a You're tour great. manager for Trump versus Bernie. So right. I went with Anthony Atamanek, and right. Anthony went as Donald Trump right. to the rally, and we were there. And I was the thing that I was blown away by, just completely blown away by, was the level of anger in right. the room. It's so angry. I had to get out of there. It was literally the opposite of going into a. a, a when Bernie won the the one aisle or whatever, we right. were there for that night, and it was the exact opposite. Right. It is absolutely, absolutely crazy. The uh, amount of fervor and the amount yeah. of sensitivity and the lack of sense of humor that this entire yes. administration has is bone crushing. And I really, honestly believe that part of the reason for it is that Donald Trump believes that he's the funny one. Oh, he absolutely. doesn't want to be out funny. He thinks he's hilarious. That's all it is. You oh, know, don't hold their ego. head when they get in the call. In the but it is car. ridiculous. Yeah. When you go on the road, you're told you can't talk about Trump now. I want to say, yeah. I don't know that it's, I, I do think all that is valid and we are seeing things with this administration, but I do think that people are sensitive, if to quote Trump, on both sides. Oh, right. the because left is the worst. The left is yeah. the worst. Like the worst. I do jokes about white feminists, they're up in arms. Yeah. I did jokes that, that were about Hillary and her pantsuits and people just can't Ugh. take it. So it's also like no one is allowing you to, to tell jokes about people who they respect. They, everyone has their their limits the and no the people go. that you can't talk about. And for comics, everyone is fair game. Like I will talk about anyone. Has I'll talk about be. my mama. Including we, Donald Trump's son. <laughs> yeah. We live yeah. in a time where people feel that they have a right to not be offended. Anywhere, and that's ridiculous. Anytime, that's absurd. Who gave them that it's idea? Ridiculous. It's absolutely right? ridiculous. This is New York City. I get offended walking out the door. Right. It's part of the reason I fucking moved here. Right. <laughs> but but the other thing that is different now is not just that feeling, right. but we have mass media that is driven from the bottom up. Right. When, I mean, I'm old. We, when I was growing up, we didn't have that. We had national media top down. Right. So now if you're offended by Dave Chappelle, I mean, I saw his Broadway show on Broadway. I didn't like a lot of the jokes personally, but I wasn't offended, and I think he's a fantastic craftsman. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's a difference between the two. Every joke doesn't have to work for me, but you can appreciate the show anyway. 
But now if you are offended because he is punching down instead of up, there is, you know, if that's how you see it, we can disagree. Uh, then you have these media that allow you to find other people who agree. And now right. you have a core of people. Yeah. Right. And now maybe we can start a boycott mm -hmm. and we can get at the sponsors. Right. And to be fair, there's a lot of people who here would say, oh my God, we can't boycott Dave Chappelle, mm -hmm. are thrilled when we uh, boycott Laura Ingram or whoever by going after her sponsors. So it's a really a question of whose ox is being well, Laura bored. Laura Ingram is not a comedian. No, number one, she's not a lot of things. She's just a liar, and and no, that you can't you can't compare the two. I'm not comparing their talents, their abilities, and right. certainly not their funny bones or their sensibilities. I'm, what I'm talking about is audience reaction, right? And, and sensibilities, how and how we go about dealing with these kind of perceived offenses. Now that Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and probably lots of other things that I don't even know right. are out there for everybody to connect on and yeah. go, rah, my team. Mm -hmm. I think it also but, gives us a false sense that it's a really large number of absolutely. people that are outraged. It's, right. really, it's a tiny, 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 tiny number. Yeah. It was a tiny number of people who gave a shit about what happened with Shane Gillis. A tiny number right. of people. Nobody really, really cares. Like We're just inside of this microcosm and we're just like looking at this because our world is something that we, we've created now well, by you know, our but it does force, Somebody you know. forces comedians to become a little more restricted in the way they write. Now, it does. Dave Chappelle can do whatever he wants. Right. He's already there. But there's a lot of folks that are still coming up and they're worried about their content. Yeah, and they're they worried have, about yeah, these. And I feel like it's worried. stunting Why? the conversation. Because I think that they you, do have to be worried I though in this day and age. I think it's stifling as an artist. It's very stifling. It's, it's working within the art form. The art form evolves. I'm, I'm not saying I, appr I approve right, no, of it. I, I understand you're being but, you're the, being but it is a business. At the end of the day, I it is show it. business, not right. show art. Right. To say use a trifle. But phrase. that's why the creek and the cave is a, a haven for people totally to agree. do. Right. And that's what we need more of. I agree with so you. We talked about agreeing, but just very much sitting next to each other. Right? Like I this. agree. You are so right yeah. right now. So <laughs> you please stop being correct. But I can't. You can't compare but Laura I, Ingram and a comic. You know. Well, I, I just think we're all But if we're talking about, if we're talking about, it's our show. We're talking about. Uh, this sense of outrage and how it can be amplified by all of this uh, thumb right, typing. Yeah. But there is something to be gotten at here with the use of technology and the Ugh. way that we can all interact so readily and find your people to be offended with. I want to look at it from the other way. What of this moment is people becoming empowered who never had a voice before, where there is an Asian person who was offended by something that Shane said, and they had no seat at the table or a voice, and now everyone bemoans that, oh, well, you're a snowflake, and you all gotten together, but they never had the agency before to say, excuse me, that's not funny. And the people who are in power and making money and making moves and the old white men in the room brokering comedy are now saying, oh, you can't say anything anymore. Everyone gets offended. But it's about them continuing their dominance and someone saying, hey, that's not funny. I'm from a small group. You don't get my voice isn't as big. How much of it is the people in power feeling all snowflakey and saying you're not allowed to come at me? I'm an artist. I think it's, it's definitely both, right? Because I don't think these things are mutually exclusive. I think that we have people that 
have been historically marginalized, that always haven't had a voice. So right. now they're using social media to amplify oh, their needs. Please. And that's I think that that's valid, though, especially Absolutely. as a as a young black woman. I feel like it's valid to be able to feel like, oh, my God, here here I am being seen. But I think what's happening is it's this overcorrection. We're going so far that now we're mad at everyone for everything. We're not being discerning. It's not nuanced. So what's happening is people are pushing back. People who otherwise may have been open to listening and being more sensitive are like, this is going too extreme and now I don't know what you're talking about at all. Like we hear, we even see like with the Me Too movement, men are like, now we can't say hi to bitches no more. Can I yeah. even call bitches bitches? Right? <laughs> like they're just be like, now I don't know. Can I, I don't know what to do with my hands. Yeah, yeah. Not. And it's like, that's not what we're saying, but that's the impression because right. it seems like we're nitpicking. So it's also like, where's the middle? Well, you know? And I think an, another big part of the problem inside of this is that we're also not allowing uh, artists room to grow, room to learn from their past mistakes, room to learn from, you know, well, if you're the a grown ass man, now. you should know that you shouldn't say I something don't really about think it's something. my place to say what people should and shouldn't know because well, I wasn't it's raised the, the way they space. were. But I have a you great also quote. have to agree that yeah. culturally there was a lot more permissibility going on mm -hmm. 10 years, fucking five years yeah. ago. Yeah. There five was a lot more ago. permissibility. Permissibility. Yeah. So now we we have all agreed to make an adjustment. We're not going to jerk off in front of each other, even if we get permission and all of that stuff. Yeah. But uh, there also, at some point, <laughs> me neither actually. But at some point, there also needs to be some sort of yeah. some sort of agreement amongst us culturally that allows these people to learn their lesson. Yeah. If there is a lesson right, for them to learn. Right. But we used to right. just do it in the club. Right. And now, right. And now it's, it's like played out everywhere. And it wasn't right. But yeah. now it's here I'm forever. Take one little portion of and it, goes and I'm going to excoriate yeah. you. What were you saying? Right? Yeah. No, what I was going to say, Brian, is that nothing changed. It was the same before. We just didn't have the social media yes. outlets that we have now. Yeah. It was the same. People felt the same before. Mm -hmm. But I tell you this, regardless of whether we live in a sensitive society about comedy, comedy is still in demand 100%. My club is filled up every week. If you go to the Comedy Cellar, they got 100 shows. Yeah, people get offended, but the shows go on and folks still go there and support it and pay their money to see comedy. It's just that when you're in a position and you have money and if there's a big social media outrage, now it's going to affect my numbers, I have to do something about it. As long as it's not affecting my numbers, everything is okay. I've had seven seasons of Laughaholics. No one has ever sat me down and said, Ray, do not talk about this and do not talk about that. But I just had a meeting two weeks ago. Why? Because they probably been getting a lot of reaction and response yeah. from certain people. Negative. So now they're restricting. Now I have to, you know, hey, make sure you do this and that. It's only because of the reaction and the response on social media or whether it's letters or I don't know what it is, but now I have to be a little bit more sensitive. Well, One I of my favorite comedians, just one second to interject this, Patrice O'Neill, who's not with us anymore, mm -hmm. said a great thing that has stuck with me. I wrote it down. There's nothing more stupid than an individual audience member. None of you standing. none of you here. There's nothing more stupid than an individual audience member and nothing more intelligent than a collective. Ooh, right. So that's two sides of one coin. So there's the individual like keyboard gangster who's out there taking your video and putting one little clip up online and excoriating you for that. And there's also a collective of people who when they do reach critical mass, you get the call.
Right, but he wrote that before there was That's right. there were cell phones. Because as a comedian, I, I you know I work at the cellar a lot. They don't allow nope. cell phones. Yeah. And I went on stage a few months ago, right after they they and I. I was on stage. I was like having the best set. I was doing an hour. I was like, oh my god, this is so great. And yeah. I looked down. And I realized Notice. no one had a phone. It was mm -hmm. like this cohesive audience. Yeah. I almost started crying because <laughs> it was like. It was amazing. It was like the old days. Yeah. So but, are phones yeah. ruining comedy oh. or are the comedians ruining comedy? No, it's the people with the phones. It's the, right. the comedians. No, what <laughs> I think is, is also important to note is that there are certain environments that are conducive to comedy. Mm -hmm. uh, we make sure the temperature is right in the room. We make sure the lighting is right. You make sure that the doors are closed so that the sounds aren't leaking out. There's all these things that producers do to make sure that the audience is having a great time. Yeah. So when you pull a clip and people that weren't in the room didn't see the context. Right, people right. that are in the middle of their shitty day on the toilet watching right. this thing, they haven't been prepared to laugh, right. okay? There's a reason we warm up rooms. You have to be prepared to laugh. So here you are in the middle of your boring day and you're like, harumph, harumph, how can I ruin someone else's lives? You weren't there. In the room, that bit destroyed. You right. know what I mean? Right. But sometimes people you, that weren't, that watch it online, they're like, oh my God, and they bring you down. But in the room, we all had a good time and we knew it was love. But also to your point before, and your point, you know, I came out on stage in the mid 90s yeah. uh, after I had children because I had all this material about being a gay mom, you know, like all this stupid shit people would say to yeah. us. You were a trailblazer. Like, no one was doing that. <laughs> no one was talking. I mean, there were gay comics. There was Bob Smith and, you know, Leah Delara and Rob Tyler, uh, Robin Tyler. There, was, there you were, were the you mom. know, um, what's his name? What's her name? Suzanne Westenhofer. But, and you can even go back further, and you know, to, to women, you have to look at Jean Carroll. Yeah. Women would come out on stage, basically say, look, I know I'm a piece of shit, and I should be in the kitchen, here are my jokes. And it was sort of like that. Mm -hmm. But when I came out, and I said, I, you know, I'm, I'm a lesbian, and I have these kids, it sort of trans, people, I, I can't tell you, like these people would come up to me and be like, oh, I never realized why gay people should be able to get married. You know, there's a power to yeah. comedy. And, and people would forget that I was a lesbian, and they were, sorry I say lesbian, but people would forget and just say, oh, she has the same issues as, you know, these are just jokes about a family. So, so there is a power that comes with this is you know, breaking down the cultural barriers yeah. and why so many comedians get up. But what are the things that still persist? What is the next mountain to climb that perhaps comedy can break down? If you talked about humanizing lesbians and uh, we know that <laughs> humanizing lesbians. Well, no, just humanizing gay people. Yeah. Then you have you have uh, people with you. We have a lot of disabled comics now who yep. go out on stage mm -hmm. and talk about their disability yeah. right. yep. and it's amazing because okay you acknowledge it and then you listen to their jokes but at an even more base level i happen to know you were in the room when the guy who's huge in france uh always falling down jerry oh lewis. jerry lewis when i was jerry there yeah lewis, oh, who said oh women aren't funny right and i know that you've devoted a lot of scholarship to getting at this idea of women not being funny and how it is that this persists oh yeah it's a flat-out lie we all know that i mean look at these clearly women. we clearly know making it's a lie but yeah, why um, won't it go away it won't go away because we're not changing the systems that we're inculcated in so as long as our political and social institutions that includes the language that we use as well stays the same then we are going to continue to make the same or have the same beliefs about women's inferiority in that realm look and we so, can't even uh, get a woman president 
who's overqualified for the job, we get this idiot, you know? And, and it, it's it's and come on. Yeah, you I think have we'll to have women comics before we have a women president. Right. Well, <laughs> being a comedian, uh, you, you guys can admit, you're, it's the most powerful position you can be in. Because what's better than making some, you're on a stage and you're controlling that room. You own that room. And, and there are people, women and men, but mostly men, yeah. who feel threatened by a woman standing there with the microphone controlling the room. And, yeah. <laughs> They're very intimidated the by funny side. women. I, Ryan, the other there's side. There's another side. The other side to us comedians yeah. is there's a very dark side to it as well. And, I mean, we hear all the stories of comedians overdosing and so forth and so on. So, like, you know, writing and sitting back and hoping that it's going to work and going out there. And I don't know about, about you, but, you know, I've done over a thousand shows and I'm still nervous at every single show that I do, no matter what. I still get that that nervous feeling until I get out there and I start performing. And that's when you demand and, you know, you connect with the audience, you try to figure out who's in the room. And, and you just, like, sometimes you don't know who's gonna be in the room. Yeah. I've done shows with just completely, everyone in the room is a tourist. There's a language barrier. There's this yeah. and that. I'm oh, like, I thought you said a tourist. I was like, they a tourist. are. <laughs> I was like, those tourists. <laughs> <laughs> Tourist. Oh my God. Oh, that being Capricorn, said, Capricorn. I wanted. Oh no. <laughs> let's, let's establish a fact. Stand up comedy is the hardest form of performing there Absolutely. is. No. There, it is. There is no. Any singer gets up there. No. Worst singer in the world. They're finished. People go, thank God they're done. I'm so happy. There's no such thing as polite laughter. It doesn't exist. You know, second by second, when you were up on that stage, how you are doing. Mm -hmm. Back in August, I did stand up for the first time in 33 years. The same week, I had a panel discussion and I was in front of the Southern District of New York arguing a case. Of those three, it was stand up that had me the most nervous because I knew I was going to see people I knew afterwards and I was going to get feedback on that. You know, the rest of the stuff, and no, it worked fine. No, no I just hate when people, it's like, shut <laughs> up, I want your feedback. But, <laughs> Wait, no, I, when yeah. you as a professional are standing up there doing the hardest job in performing, how much does, or is there a point when you don't care if the audience laughs? Like if there is a where it's like if you're getting up there and and you're doing it for the culture, you're making all these Sometimes statements. Sometimes you gotta take the power back, man. You're changing uh, the world, and like if you like, I don't give a if these people I, laugh I at all. I think that's an like an age thing. Like yeah. I get I. Like you get nervous. I can't, I love it. Yeah. I did this to be, a lot of people use stand up to get something else. I fucking love yeah. doing stand up. And when the comedian comes off the stage before me and says, oh, they're horrible, I'm like, yes. <laughs> like it's even more of a challenge, you know? I love it too. Yeah, I, I just, yeah. I just. Well, we know your particular pathology then, but I did hear <laughs> another comedian say, if you got a room of 100, 50 of them should be laughing and the other 50 should be horrified. And that's how you know that you're rocking it. Okay, who said that? Depends on the comedy. <laughs> it depends, no? right? Well, well, Brian. They should so, be outraged. I know. So I've done the ratio. I've done Caroline's, right? right? So Caroline's is about 320 people. But then I've also done Madison Square Garden. Where there's 15,000 people. Okay, now yeah. showing off. So, no, no, no. What, what, what I'm saying is that you cannot see the audience when you do a theater. Okay. But you oh, can yeah. see the audience at a comedy club. You can feel their reaction. It's more intimate. 
You have no idea. You just got to keep going on blind faith. In addition to that, you got to change your whole pace because the people upstairs are getting the laugh three seconds later. Yeah. So you have to slow down. It's like, you know, if I'm used to doing a fast pace, it's just... Yeah, well, that's a whole performance. I mean, yeah. I think comedy that's is a very theater. intimate art form. Yeah. Like, I love tiny rooms. Yeah. Uh, that's what yeah. it was made yeah. for. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, yeah. it's a spoken word art form. And then when you create these huge... I know, it's, it's awful because you... There's no connection, right. There's you no know? Connection. So let's talk about who gets into the large rooms because there are people who are the funniest people you've never heard of, but they'll never get their chance to step out onto the stage at an MSG. They yeah. might but slave away to? for like, decades in there. I would prefer there. not to. Yeah, that's but not what necessarily is, a goal. Right. But it, it's is only there more a way? That people yeah. are really into that theater circuit, really, you know? So what is the metrics of success <laughs> for being a comedian who's able to pay your bills and do your art form and not have to work at the phone company for eight hours before begging Ray to get up on stage for $20. That's no, a for, very for, for me, question. I created yeah. my own way. Yep. I created my own way. Yeah. I create, I, at first I was a promoter, then I was a producer, and then I became a stand-up comedian. So now I produce. The only reason why I was at Master Square Garden is because it was my show. All right. It was my show. Nobody booked me really and put me on it. No, I'm just, no, I'm saying, like, I don't have success like that as a comedian. And I used to pay Kevin Hart $25 to do my stage. I don't have his notoriety. Yeah. Oh, I, I created that. my own. You know, so it's, it's a little different for me. But other comics, they, they rely on the gatekeepers. They rely on the producers. Yeah. The timing. Mike Epps was uh, in L.A. and... And Ice Cube happened to be sitting in the audience. And at that time, the timing was perfect because yeah. Chris Tucker just quit doing the Friday movies. And he saw Mike Epps and he said, this guy would be a good fit. And that's, and that's all, you know, that that's was it. That's how it always happens. So that's why it you always both are gatekeepers, respectively, and Ice-T, Ice Cube happened to be in the audience that night. But looking at this broader landscape, and we're talking about writers' rooms and who's making this mass TV that's pushed out, who books the clubs and the rooms, who are the gatekeepers in comedy right now, and even the bookers on college campuses, if oh, we're talking about hotbeds of... That's, ugh, a whole other, that's, that's a whole other... Yeah. Well, let's yeah. get into it, but before oh. we do, I just want to let you all assembled know that if, if you have a question, you can make your way over to the aisle, and I'll make my way over to you if there's something that sparked or you want to address them. But on the, again, on the subject of the, the gatekeepers of comedy, who, who are we beholden to that is really getting to decide who makes the world laugh? Yeah, Thinking I mean, of diversity. I think it depends, right? Because there's a more traditional avenue where you're trying to still get your five minutes of late night, that you get your late night, that you work on getting a special. Now with all the streamers, maybe there's more different places that you can get a special. It, before yeah. it was just HBO, now we have Comedy Central, we have Netflix, we have Amazon. And I think social media is also a powerful tr tool where people are, ha are able to create their circumvent own lanes and circumvent that, that yeah. process by having their own fan base. And I think that creating your own <clears throat> content is king. And I think that if you have your own fan base, yeah. And it's just people that are following you, people on a mailing list, people that are subscribing to you. It's a lot harder to cancel you. It's a lot harder to censor you because you have you have the people that you can put your product directly with your to. People. And you are in control of your own success. But there's so many different ways but that you could be all, successful. But that's also not, not good in a certain way because... 
you know, some people will do like a funny video for three minutes. It'll go viral, and then they get booked at a club, and they don't they have, have forty-five minutes, and they, they don't know. You know, like exactly. it takes fifteen years to know what the fuck you're doing on that stage. Mm -hmm. But this Ten, is not new, yeah, right? But it is new because you know I I am of the era. People were going to audition for Saturday Night Live or Evening at the Improv or Caroline's Comedy or all these shows. They did it live. That was it. There was no going on tape and go, you know you had to prove yourself but that but also doesn't aggravate me because again the audience doesn't lie so i always i used to right. think the same way like i'm a stand-up comic i'm a purist the instagram comedians aren't real comedians but what i feel is like Instagram comedy helps, is good for comedy in general because it's making comedy more accessible. More of my friends care about what the fuck I'm doing now because they're following some other person. Now they're interested in comedy. Right, but I'm so, just I'm just saying that, that they don't, that you, in order to be a great comic, not, there's only one way to be a great is comic is get on stage, on stage as much and as that's possible why it doesn't and that's bother it. Me, and but I feel like it doesn't take away behold, from what I do. But you're not necessarily beholden to the gatekeepers as much anymore. Yeah, right. Right. I don't think. But to Judy's point, you know, that we're essentially stunt casting is really right, what we're yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about. This is not, I mean, go back to the days of vaudeville. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were in a major scandal, you know, public scandal in the days of vaudeville, they'd book you to come out on yes. the vaudeville stage. Stormy Daniels. Well, I mean, she doesn't go back to vaudeville. But other I'm than that. I'm just using that as an example, <laughs> you know. But, but also in vaudeville, if you went out as a comic and you were used the words heck or damn, you were handed your pictures on the way off the stage and you were, you were literally canceled. Right. Now, yes, we live in an age where you can go from the top down or the bottom up. Gatekeepers exist, yeah. but not in the way they used yes. to. So yeah. what's the accountability piece, if we're purportedly talking about accountability, what's the accountability piece? for a gatekeeper figure versus an individual performer. If we're talking about systems here of comedy where it's an individual thing versus a comedy industrial complex. It's not a small money business. Didn't Dwight Eisenhower talk about that? <laughs> I think it's a personal sensibility. Like yeah. there are clubs that I love going to. Uh, because they're run by people who love comedy. comedy. Yep. And there are clubs that are run by people who only count the numbers. Right. And it is so apparent to a comic what you're doing, you know. And yeah. you get to the point, you know, in the beginning, you have to take every gig you can get. It's all about stage time. And then you get old, like me, and you're like, you know what, not worth it. I'm not, I don't need to feel like that. Yeah. I don't need to do that anymore. That, that's very true. And yeah. I, I love comedy and I am so particular about my club. It's starting on time, right. no distractions. Mm -hmm. uh, the audience, there's a recording that we, no cameras, no this, no that. If you're a heckler, you're going to be escorted out. out. There's a yeah. lot of things that you got to protect the integrity of comedy to give the comedian an honest, you know, uh, uh, platform to be yep. able to to perform right and if you can't do that you might as well not i don't think but we you put, know what oh sorry i don't think we put enough emphasis on what? us as us not you guys because you guys are doing it but the consumers i think we yeah. talk about the gatekeepers and we talk about the comics who are out there and we're worried that the comics are saying the wrong things and the gatekeepers are letting the wrong people in how about if we just stop buying the things that we don't want to hear right so if we find the rooms that speak to our specific kind of subjective sense of humor go to those rooms is when that you just find cancel comic, culture by another name it i think so and i think we should problematize cancel culture because 
are we really canceling things out? Like Kale Hartman has a job still. Beth Stelling, you know, had uh, on Instagram had photos displayed of him harming her in Kale 2015. Is, what? what? But, but he's not he's not in any way performing in live performances and he's been uh, kicked out but of every comedy club in New York City but he still has he getting has been, paid say again he's still getting paid and Louis CK is still getting paid and well yeah Bill Cosby's become a celebrity a prisoner comic. so like, do you book Louis Rebecca I do I do, and I'm going to continue to book him. Do you book uh, Cosby on his out of prison tour? No, no. Cosby, and Cosby's there, a whole. It's a whole other situation. We're not talking of what what happened with 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 Cosby was way greater, and there's no. I have no interest in comparing the two. It doesn't make any sense to compare the two. I agree with you. In fact, I saw Cosby in the last performance you could go to and not throw up, because th th literally three days after it all broke wide open. When and I was one of those who did not know beforehand. You didn't. So I did not. Most, oh, almost all everyone in the comedy world was very well aware. Well, and everyone well in the comedy world should have decades. been talking louder. Uh, you but can't. We did. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, we, I mean, we talked about it openly other. amongst each other. But that's a separate issue. I mean, the, the bottom line is there is a difference. I agree with you. That, but it comes down to, and we've danced around this all show, is when we talk about cancel culture, what are we canceling? And what is it to cancel? I mean, Cosby is a felon. I mean, he's not somebody who said something wrong. Yeah. He is a predator. And, you know, and it kills a lot of us. I do a radio comedy show uh, bi-weekly on WRFI, Watkins Glen, Ithaca. And I don't play Cosby anymore. Yeah. I mean, and, and he that has, sucks because his stand-up was so brilliant. brilliant. Yeah. So brilliant. wait, if we but can he, if we can cancel this person that we're talking about right now, this is an instance where you can't separate the art from the artist. But there are still people bopping the R. Kelly, or there's still there 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 are still people who are. Right, who still happen. want to rock with you? There are people who go and watch Woody Allen movies, or but it's uh, a they don't play Woody art anymore. Well, that's a that's different. So this form. is what I'm getting at: the art form matters, whereas maybe the answers blowing in the wind. There used to be musicians and rockers out there leading a social consciousness. Uh, is the balance different for comedians now? Bill Cosby, who went around. Her, you know, saying horrible things to young black guys, yeah. like pull up your pants and do 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 and do this Stop and do that. And meanwhile, right. he, you know, he's he a did, hypocrite. Right. Yeah. He did kids do the darndest yeah. things. So, he yeah. He was doing the darndest things. So right. let's... <laughs> too soon. Let's... Uh, can we, can we <laughs> take it up too soon if it's funny? Right. To the 10,000 square foot view then and not individually talk about that person, but separating because, as I mentioned, in music and film and other art forms, they might be despicable people, but there's still a value to their art. But with people a comedian... Hold comedians to a different state. That's, that's, that's what I'm getting Michael Jackson, but is not, that not fair? of anything. Yeah. Certainly a lot of smoke. Yeah. Maybe yes, maybe no. R. Kelly, good God. But <laughs> I love his music and I can dance to it, so... Oh, well, yeah. a comedian says one wrong thing. We never want to hear from this yeah, person Yeah, but I, again. I don't think that's, that's true, on, true in music because I'm, I'm on Radio 103.9. I have my own radio show. We don't play our camera. Everyone's got a radio I'm show here. We don't. Well, the Where's rest of you have podcasts. No. Like, and we're all no, very quickly the, No, no, the music, industry, <laughs> the music industry were outraged, and they did respond, and they stopped playing his music. I don't so, think it has anything to do with the particular art. I think we're going to make excuses and try to find these caveats based on 
what makes us feel bad. And yeah, all we're trying yes. to do is ease our cognitive dissonance. There is no difference between Bill Cosby, listen to Bill Cosby and R. Kelly and Michael Jackson. It just or Louis C.K. I just heard easy. three black men in a row. Is that a part of it? Because I've heard it racialized before. All right, put Woody Allen in the mix too. Yeah, throw him in there. And Roman Polanski mm -hmm. and David Bowie, because y'all be acting like he and wasn't Kevin a pedophile. Spacey. Like, oh, okay. Sorry. Well, and I also think that the, but the, the difference between the visions, you're talking about Michael Jackson and R. Kelly, but what about the Stones? What about the, what about the hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of stories about Motley Crue and all the rest of them yeah. that were treating women and, and dogs and Elvis, guitars terribly, destroying ride. people's lives? I agree. We hold them to you, a different standard. But Aziz Asari can't go on a bad date yeah, and get away. Yeah, that was a bad date. Ridiculous. Wait, what about Coco Chanel was a Nazi. I mean, that's a fact. She was a that Nazi. Is a I never she heard of that. Yes. She was a Nazi. Fools. They're all walking around with her, you know, Jews. Where yeah. are like walking around. Don't pick on Jews. Yeah, but we and we also all use phones still made by child slaves. So it's like we gotta, yeah, we all said that. We're not giving up our iPhones and our Samsung, so we all figure out what our lines right. are. It's a very so individual So we have a we have a question, but I want to you to guys to percolate on this idea of woke comedians then. Who who are the woke comedians and are they funny? Is it all woke and no joke, as Adam Carolla said? But let, let's get into this. Okay, for me, um, honestly, what I find is, if you're dealing with comedy, honestly, is that there is a hypocrisy that is, that is in, within comedy and within bus the business of comedy. What I find is that you could, it, it oftentimes, unfortunately, can be racially motivated. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, there is a kind of disconnect with how many people have done so many wrong in comedy and how many times they have been forgiven. And I think that when you talk about Bill Cosby, you have to understand it was a different time. I remember somebody was telling me in the 70s, people had cocaine spoons around their neck. Sure. It was a different time. The promiscuity and everything that was going on in that business. And I say this, if a woman or a man comes by your house at 3 o'clock in the morning, there's only one thing they want. They're not asking for a cup of sugar. That's what I'm saying. And when you deal with cer certain things, you have to realize that people, for some reason, they don't get... Okay, Bill Cosby, yes, may he, maybe he was a predator. But in order to have, but in order to be able to be a predator, why are the prey coming to him? You know what I'm wow. saying? Wrong question. Wait, 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 wait. You don't have a public job. He drugged them. They're going to try to tell you. It's never been the right decade for drugging someone. That's a whole other town hall, yes? That's another show. But I wonder, are you buying ticket for the Bill Cosby comeback to Are you going? What I'm saying to you is this. I'm not going to. What I have learned to do is I realize that people make mistakes. And they may make a whole bunch of mistakes but the thing is what is the difference and I'm gonna say this and it's gonna be very bad what is the difference between pedophile priests yeah. that are still priests and okay. Bill Cosby who is also a predator and I'm saying that half of these children if you look at the pedophile thing that's going on they went through a lot of stuff so let me say talk back to comedy comedy hits mm -hmm. on the heart 
the heartbeat, the pain, the angst, the fears, everything that you can think about in the entire culture. And when you try to censor it, when you try to say that certain things should not be said, what okay. ends up happening is nothing is said. You should live with that, girl. Let me answer your question. I can get on board but with the that difference last part. between Bill Cosby and the pedophile priest. The difference no, is prosecution. Probably. We haven't prosecuted the priest. That doesn't mean we let Bill Cosby off. It means we prosecute the priests. Yeah. But there's not, you know, you were talking about the cancel culture yeah. and you know who decides this. You know. There's a difference between cancel culture and not liking a comic and turning the fucking channel. Yeah. If you don't like the comic, turn the channel and shut the fuck up. You don't yeah. have to start a riot about this one's horrible and I'm offended. Yeah. Okay. And no one right. should be able when to you hear a, it. Right. You, you hear a song you don't like, what do you do? You change the fucking channel. Just do, you know, why yeah. is it? different. There's so many people now though who are profiting from this moniker of being the outrageous bad boy canceled kind of thing and they proclaim themselves to be free speech warriors and they're right. fighting social justice warriors and it's never been as profitable or as big for their careers frankly. Now well, we, going back again I'm old and I don't know how I many. I think of, I'm older. No I think you're younger than I am. By yeah, a few probably. years. You certainly look, look young. I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> you certainly look young. But going back, I don't know how many of you know, remember Don Rickles. Yeah. Oh, Don yes. Rickles made his entire Just career insult. on insulting he people. Everyone. He wasn't terribly huge on uh, foul language and racial slurs, but he used them. Hockey yeah, puck. Sure. But, I mean, yeah. I always said, I listened to him, I laughed, and I felt dirty afterwards. But... At the end of his show, he always did this little disclaimer. You know, the little disclaimer: we oh, we love everybody, we're all equal. But he was funny, right? Because he was leveling the playing field, and he was honest we're about what he was doing. People, all we are are people. Yeah. You're this, you're that. We're all funny. We all find funny things. And he was the nicest guy in the world. Yeah. Like they say that he was the he kindest. Was and you could tell that from from a, you can tell if a comedian is is kind yeah. and coming from a vulnerable place and treats everyone equally and and an asshole. And also, you can tell. Only three of us had televisions back then. So. <laughs> we have a question so here. <laughs> but if we had social media, it would have been a different yeah. thing. Yeah. Hi, um, my question is about relatability and the rule of relatability for your audiences as comedians and bookers and such. Um, we talked about uh, women aren't funny. Um, a lot of that I feel like as the, the work that I've done comes from the fact that I tried to do jokes about things that were not relatable to the entire audience. Mm -hmm. However, there is a problem with that as well. And I just, that was my question was, can we elaborate on perhaps why the language that women use, the experience that women have is different for half of their audience of any, you know, and that's basically my question. I'd love to uh, answer that. Um, I think we, are, we live in a patriarchy. Oh, Newsflash, <laughs> it's yeah. happening. And we are um, in a position where women's voices and experiences don't matter as much as men's. And so as long as we've been indoctrinated with women as being inferior and their lives as being an inferior, when you get on stage and you take the microphone and you want people to listen to what you're saying, they already believe that what you have to say is not going to 
be as interesting as the guy standing in the wings who's going to go on next. So you have to convince them otherwise. So women are constantly doing extra work on stage mm -hmm. in order to just get where men can already be as soon as they step onto stage. So Dave Chappelle got into a little trouble during his comedy special when he talked specifically about the LGBTQIA plus community. <laughs> yes. I love you all. And, uh, and the way that there's a pecking order. And he say, if you're a gay white man, you're at the top. If you're any other part of the LGBT sandwich that's in there, you might not get the first crack. So I'm wondering, in that spirit, what's the pecking order in the comedy world? Oh, Looking please. at it's returns just like the world. and everything. It's white male, yeah. white male, white male. <laughs> you know, I started at a time. First of all, uh, w there was never more than one woman on a show. If if a woman at all. By design. And I remember in the 80s, right? In yeah. the 80s, I would call, you know, when I was One woman, starting, one colored person. Yes, yeah, you, you could only have one woman and one uh, black person. That was it. That's weird. Um, and I remember calling clubs, like in the when I had first started. Yeah. Uh, I started at 19, and I would call these clubs, be like, hi, you know, my name's Judy Gold, I worked here, blah, 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 and I want to, uh, oh, we had a woman here like three months ago, and she didn't do well, so we're not booking women. For the next few months, and it was, it was ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. And 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 it's all and it's still this way. It's Three guys on a way. show is a show. Three women on a show, it's ladies, ladies night out, hysterical. Yeah. You know, it's it's ridiculous. Yes. And, it's true. And it's right. true. It's real. But it, and for blacks, it's yeah. like urban night, urban night. You know. It's so ridiculous. why why is it so segmented? <laughs> why is there there's an urban night? There's a hysterical. Uh, like so this is an HBCU argument we had to build our own because yeah, they wouldn't let us in and then you say work. it's the artist so it's self-selecting at no, in no, no, 2019 no, no. The audience. The it, audience. it's to separate the audience yeah. it's to have one kind of audience it's right. not to have one kind of comedian it's so is that why Monique is arguing that she's not getting the same as the most lauded woman no. in comedy no, no, versus Amy Schumer well what is it I'm asking let me stop you that's person Let's go straight That's, to Monique. Yeah. Okay. Monique is in that position because Monique to a person. is a horrible person. Okay. I'm telling you that because firsthand, I am right her. I'm telling you, listen, yeah. I'm telling you that because now people are people. Right. And, and folks and that, and, and, and people that book, whether you're a producer on yeah. television, if you are horrible to work with, eventually, no, no matter how good you are, they're not going to work with you anymore. Her show wasn't canceled because the ratings weren't good. It got canceled because they didn't yeah, want to work with her no more. Okay. I've booked Monique on, in certain situations, and we got one hotel room wrong. And she made us put her in another hotel room and t in a, some five-star. It was ridiculous. And I said, you know what? This is the last I'm time good. I'm ever going to work with her. Right. So she's dealing with that simply because of who she is. And behind closed doors, a lot of us don't know these personalities, right? Until personalities, personalities make a difference. So wait, let's but let's wait, remove her from the equation and talk about the, the segmentation. Women over fifty. That is the that's, bottom. That's as you know, as I've gets. never been funnier. Yeah. And I cannot. I've been on. You They're know, laughing. I've had HBO. I've had Comedy Central. I've yeah. been on. You know, I've had specials on. I. No one will give me a special. I'm not the demographic. But a guy over 50, hilarious. You yeah. know, they're hilarious. I just want yeah. to say something real quick about uh, being a female comic. Sure. I think that I remember being told 
before I even got on stage, it's a certain way that you have to dress. You oh, can't, sure. it's distracting. People don't like pretty girls on stage, you know, try to dress down your look. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that if you look at most comedy show audiences, they're predominantly women in the audiences. The audiences yes. are always heavily skewed because it's girls night out, some bachelorette party. You rarely see droves of bros coming through clubs. Right. So it's always like these, these lineups are predominantly men on it, but the audience has women. So when the, the person who posed the question asked about relatability, like people are thirsty for women to come on stage because we are the majority of the audience. But I will say this thing, comedy is very hard. Most yeah. comics just are not good. So if you have a lineup and it's 10 men and one woman, then the odds that the one woman is not, she might not be might funny, not be the but there's not any more women. Right. right. You it's might a ratio still have thing. five yeah. bad men, but yeah. you see two men that are good. Right. And you go, oh, this is okay. So you, they're just not seeing the us ratio as much. of good women and good men is probably the, the same, same. But it's women are same. probably a little funnier because we're more emotional and we think deeper. You know. But <laughs> we are. Right. But I'm just saying. You know, like. <laughs> But it's the same percentage. It's right. just that there's more no, of but them. There, but there's a huge responsibility for the bookers. Like I have a, I, I try to stick to a three white guy maximum for my yeah. lineups <laughs> because it allows, it, it forces the the audience members to see more women, to see more people of color, to see more people who are from a different walk of life than them, and they have a bigger opportunity to broaden their mind and to actually experience a real comedy experience instead of just listening to someone that they can agree with and nod their head to and not actually laugh at. So, Beck, is there, before we get to this question, is there a universal funny, like, you've been studying this and looking at comedians out there, like, is there someone who's going to get booked by these two and get the special, and they're beloved by the blacks and the whites and the Kevin gays Hart. and the Asians? So, w what's the sauce? Like, how did well, Kevin Hart go from okay. making $25 with you to Madison Square Garden? Some comedians, uh, okay, so... In New York, you have urban comedy rooms and, and you what have the hell mainstream. Does that mean? What's urban? What, what it means to me yeah. is that most of most most of the urban comedy rooms are in African American Latino communities. So urban is and still they take, code on, They're not they're not professional clubs. Right. They are bars or whatever kind of place that they can find, and they do comedy once a week. Yeah. Right. So the urban room. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a comedy room. Yeah. So yeah. these kinds of comedians, they grow up differently in comedy because it's a distractive room. So when you work in a distractive room, you got a lot of things that are at play. So the right. comedians learn how to snap yeah. more as opposed to doing material. Like yeah. when you go to a Caroline's, you can actually do jokes because it's set up that way. Right. So the urban comic. If he gets urbanized, he does all jokes only related to his community. Right. So if he goes somewhere else, it's not going to be relative to the audience. Mm -hmm. So I always tell the comedians, listen, think of universal stuff that we all go through. Yeah. We all got to take a shit. We all got well, kids. Well, that's not the we, best. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, that, that, and I are now the only yeah. two I'm not cursed on the back. Yeah. <laughs> My shit joke works everywhere. Give us your shit joke, right? <laughs> But my Jamaican joke may not work in certain places. Yeah. But also, so, if, uh, you know, you're right. I mean, but I, I would go anywhere. I was like a warrior. And it's so important to go to those clubs and go to the traditional yeah. clubs and go to the all clubs. Yeah. Go. That's what makes a good yes, comic. I, I went everywhere. I went to lunch 100%. rooms in and Alabama. A, I mean, it was yeah. horrible. And then when you have a, sometimes you have a set that can work in different rooms. And right. it's fine. I went to Australia, didn't change anything. 
you know? So it just depends on the rooms. But I, um, I bristle a little bit at the term urban versus mainstream, and I know exactly what it means, but I just feel like we are trained that mainstream are the white rooms. And, right. I, and, and I know that black people are the mainstream. We are the purveyors of culture. Everything we do is mainstream. Same. So I also think there needs to be a reframing right. about it. This oh, is not yeah. you, this is I just agree. what we're in. You know what I mean? And we can mainstream. we also add that's in the LGBTQ or SDUVWXYZ? Thank you, all the BLT. <laughs> we have a question. Uh, uh, good evening. Thanks for this amazing panel, this very entertaining and engaging discussion. I have so many thoughts, but in the name of brevity, I'll keep it brief. Um, earlier, you had mentioned about how certain groups didn't have agency to speak out before. I respectfully disagree. We've always had a voice, and that voice is with our time and with our wallet. Um, like you mentioned Shane Gaylis at the beginning of this discussion. There's no law on the books that says we have to go see him at a comedy club or yeah. watch him on, on Saturday Night Live. And that leads to my question of like, you know, how, like, oh God, now I done lost my train of thought. Okay, but That's basically my question is like, you know, basically in terms of um, cancel culture, like first off, who, what does that mean? Who, who sets the parameters for canceling and how would you go about doing that? Like Dave Chappelle, I saw his recent special about the alphabet people. I thought it was hilarious. I did too. Now, yeah. my, I, I, so the thing funny. is, I'm fully aware that yeah. his kind of comedy is not for everyone. Yeah. Neither is Anthony Jeselnik, yeah. who I think is even more you know, out there than right. Chappelle. But my question is when it comes to canceling, like, you know, what does that mean? Like who determines? Cancellation, like, like you know, I, I've always wondered about that. Cancel, like, okay. who's cancel culture? If I may, I felt the same exact way, right? I feel like the market should be able to decide, and if people don't want to buy it, then they shouldn't buy it, right? But then I had to sit back and I'm like, well, damn, as somebody that is, I don't like the word minority, but as somebody who is a minority in this country, if we let the market decide, the market is dominated by guys. white, conservative, whatever right, men. Right, yeah. So we can't let them decide dead. because they've been decided. Yeah. They've been yeah. deciding. So at, so at a certain point, there has to be a part where even though you may not have the numbers or the buying power, your voice needs to matter as much because if not, people still be doing blackface. You know what I mean? Well, the market we, was designed, people will still be mentioning because people decide to support those people. Beck actually has a very insightful passage about how minstrelsy won't die. And I'm looking at you and wondering about the economics of cancel culture and how there's been a resounding like, don't do that no more, but it still keeps coming around. It's just couched in different terms. There's just different rhetorical strategies that comics can employ in order to say the same things and to act the same ways. A kind of people think it's a clever, clever mimicry of the other to take on an affect of an other to make fun of a gay person by, and it's always a gay man, right? It's always like, ah, woo. And there's or a black woman, or a black woman, mm -hmm. they do the that sassy, thing. yep, so fun. Or and, Jew, they do Jews too. And so, and they do that in the name of a lot of things. They say, well, you know, I saw that, therefore it's true. So it's comic authenticity or um, I experienced that myself or I have that best friend who occupies that category of identity so now I can make fun of there's loads of ways that people can get at doing exactly the same things that we've done before and we act like we've done away with all of this negative um, disparaging kind of comments about different groups and it's out there in yeah. space oh, I also yeah. think we need to be allowed to make fun of each other 
Oh, I just yeah. think that needs to be said. Like we, we should be allowed to make fun of and make fun of the stupid ass stereotypes that are floating around in the world about all of our different cultures mm -hmm. and all of our different backgrounds. Like those conversations do still need to be able to happen. But that comic they intent don't doesn't necessarily get received But we still in the way. have to have conversations well, about race Well, you have to know people that make fun of them. So you can't right, you make have, fun it's of about them from across the board. Yeah. But yeah. Before, you, before you go on, let me go to the question the, the woman just asked. Yeah. I haven't really addressed it. Who cancels? Nobody. Nobody gets canceled in this society. Yeah. We live in a society now with lots of separate market segments. Yeah. And you know, if you are the most bigoted comic out there, There's there is an audience somewhere. for right. you. There is money for you to make. Now, we may, again, going back to Cosby, we may agree that he is outside the pale. And we've all agreed to cancel him. And that's fine. That's good. But nobody gets canceled. We talk, being canceled means somebody on Twitter doesn't like you. All right, we're closing in on our last five minutes. Let's bang out some more. Um, particularly for the comics and the producer here, how do you deal with members, people of, in, from marginalized communities who seem generally ups, genuinely upset or genuinely hurt by some of the material that, that the comics might, might, ha might, have, might have. Because to your point, it seems like cancel culture is a bit of a myth because it's basically, basically people from marginalized positions receive genuinely hurt and their, their careers seem to be inconvenienced but nobody seems to be canceled. But how do you deal with... Gotcha. Yeah, so Rebecca, you said part of your mission is to educate audiences. Do you ever give them a little pat down after if they get in their feelings? Well, the first thing that came to mind, I've, I've, uh, I was the host or the, the venue within which a, a deeply offensive podcast existed for about seven years. Right. They now are at a different club. Um, but I was driving home from my second job and uh, had to take a phone call from a crying mother who found my phone number on my website. And uh, the comedians had made fun of her daughter who had Down syndrome and she was uh, in Kentucky and she was a member of the Special Olympics. And um, I talked to the mom for about 45 minutes and we had a really great, good conversation. The producers of that podcast then reached out to her. The podcast episode was obviously pulled. Um, and we had we found out later mm. that the person who brought the podcast to those children's attention um, was actually a, a liberal social justice fella who uh, had been yelled at for grabbing a microphone out of somebody's hand at my club and who now currently will continue to walk past me and spit on me on a regular basis in my own neighborhood yeah. where I own a business. Um, and uh, so having the conversation with the mother was deeply important to me. I obviously didn't want her to walk away having been hurt or having bad feelings and I didn't want her daughter to be offended. I also in, in no world thought that they would ever hear it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also not, not uh, material that I would think would ever go on to like a live performance. It right. was a podcast which is a whole other conversation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, of course, if somebody's offended and I hear about it, I sit down and talk with them. I had a woman come and do a performance as a burlesque uh, artist in a nun's habit. And it just so happened that that <laughs> night there was a Catholic priest in the audience. Mm -hmm. And it took about three hours for me to convince him that she wasn't going to hell and she didn't mean it personally right. and, well. and all of that stuff. But those conversations are scary and terrifying to start and to initiate. But once you have them, ultimately people come to an understanding. Yeah. Okay. Well, Joan, Joan Rivers. Yeah. Uh, well, had a joke about, about uh, Willie Nelson uh, 
and his pot smoking and his daughter was getting teased at school and she wrote Joan a note oh. and Joan said, out of my act, you know? Yeah, um, no one's trying to upset And so those, yeah, yeah. oh, okay. I love you. Say Joan. I love oh. you. I was gonna say thank you also for being here and sharing all of your wisdom with all of us. But I think my question is, is there, um, is there some, something such as a responsible or credible comic? So meaning, if you're gonna make fun about my people, I need to make sure you did your homework. Yes. And you're talking about something that Absolutely. even I can find funny. And I think That's some right. comedians get caught up in talking about something they have, no. they know nothing yes. about and it shows. That is the greatest point made tonight. And that's more of a young or comics game, I think. <laughs> yeah. I think that I see probably more of it than, than everybody else because I'm doing so many open mics with comics who literally woke up that day and decided they were a comedian, right? <laughs> so, and that happens a lot from January 1st until about February 15th and then yeah. they stop. Yeah. But, uh, but, we, but those open mic rooms are full of crass, terrible, stupid, knee-jerk, navel-gazing humor. It's right. dick jokes. It's yeah. pussy jokes. It's not ever anything... You, I, I often tell people, like, yes, absolutely, as an audience member, go and watch an open mic. It's so mind-boggling. Yeah. Go and watch an open mic and see what that material looks like in the very beginning, and see what those comics look like in the very beginning, and then understand how very far they've come. So in you our know? last two minutes, I invite you all to uh, riff on that theme. If there is something that you see as closing the gap or getting people to communicate and see each other where we can make fun of each other because we recognize the humanity that we share. Is there a scholarly way to do that? To well, put I'll people on the road? Well, I'll just say there's some comics who are doing a great job. Hari Kondabolu is one of my favorite, and Maria Bamford is doing great work out there. And Judy Gold. Oh, and, oh my and, God. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> and Carrie. <laughs> yeah. I, that is true, actually. I saw, I've been following you for a long time, but I saw your work more recently. I'm very impressed by it, seriously. Thank you. Ray? <laughs> I think comedy is the best thing that has ever happened to us as a human race. I think that... It cures the common cold. I think that we cannot do without it. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember I did my first movie theater comedy show two days after 9-11, and I thought that no one would show up. And my show sold out, and we had to add a second because people were craving to get some humor, to get some sort of comedy relief. So no matter the, the fact that we are in a sensitive mode right now, I think we'll get past it. And, um, and I, I just hope that everyone can kind of deal with it in a, in a better way instead of canceling everyone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you got to go all the way back seven years yeah. when you talked about a joke about your son. Then they don't want you to host. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about. But talking about that's you. Kevin Hart. Yeah. I think that uh, yeah. everyone's got to stop taking themselves so fucking seriously. Mm -hmm. Calm down. Laugh. Stop, you know, just... It's, we're just trying to make you laugh. And there are assholes everywhere. But comedy is really important, especially in our culture. Mm -hmm. It is, it's, it, when you shut us up, then we've lost everything. So, you know. Howard, give us one yeah. reason why all is not lost in our last 10 seconds. Because there are still people who want to go to Rebecca's club and learn how to do this. And there are still people who want to go to Rebecca's Club and watch those people do it. We need comedy. Comedy opens us. Comedy is intimate. Comedy relieves stress. It helps everything about you. 
and we're still doing it, and we're always going to do it, and eventually people get tired of fetching. <laughs> ha, we'll see. <laughs> but I want to thank you all for being here tonight and thank our panel for sharing all of their thoughts and expertise and honesty. And again, thank you to the production crew and everyone who worked so hard to make this happen. And we hope to see you back here at Brick House very, very soon. Have a good night, everyone. Thank you. All good. Brilliant.